Hey, everybody. Welcome to Making Sense of It All. As always, I'm your host, Jesse Stakes. So I'm very happy to have Jack Ducanis back on the show. Jack was one of my first guests when I started Making Sense of It All earlier this year. And if you'd like to learn more about Jack and his career, you can check out our first conversation on January 10th of 2023. Today, we're going to be talking about sales management. Now, when I say sales management, I'm sure that it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So, specifically, we're talking about the profession of sales management. We're going to dive into what that looks like to be responsible for recruiting, training, and maintaining a sales force. We're also going to get into some of the differences between management and leadership and how much the profession has changed over the last 20 or 30 years. Enjoy our conversation. Let's jump right into it. Jack, thanks so much for joining us again. Thank you, Jesse. It's good to be with you again. So I, so I asked you to come back because I consider you an expert in your field of sales management. You've been, you've been in it your whole career. Uh, you've seen it from, from all different perspectives. And so for the benefit of my audience, how would you define the term sales management? When you think about the whole purpose behind having a sales manager and a sales team, it's that's make sure you have the continuation and the growth of the business. I mean, that's why you hire a sales force. Okay? Right. Without a sales force, the business can't grow. All right. And you got to keep it going. And that's why you put salespeople and managers in the field. Um, so I look at my role as a sales leader, sales manager, whatever role you want to call it, um, was to make sure that we were growing the business and to bring in a qualified group of people that uh, can represent the company. So we used to call it RISH, like recruiting, recruiting, interviewing, selecting, and hiring. Okay. The right people. And then when you get the right people, it's then training and development and hopefully promotion of those people. Because if you hire the right team, if you put the right process in place, you will continue to grow the business. And we've been very successful doing that. So I look at that as my primary role is to, um, be the catalyst to grow the business for the organization. I, I feel like it's a timeless function, no matter if you're in the 1800s, the 1900s, 2000s, or, or right now, sell, selling and sales has always been a part of any business that exists. From the time it was tonic in the back of a truck, Jesse, okay, people have been trying to sell things to people. And again, really, if you look at it, you know, people are selling all day long, whether it's a product or whatever, they're selling themselves. They're, um, you know, trying to get people to agree with them. So selling is a natural part of life and uh, mastering that process of getting, whether it's a negotiation or anything else, um, it's a skill that has to be mastered, uh, especially if you're going to make it your vocation. No doubt. So when you're talking about the individuals that are managing those folks and leading those folks, I feel like that there's there's multiple skill sets that they have to have, whether it's teaching, if it's actually managing pro- like process management and managing what those folks are doing, or, or just true leadership and, and kind of leading the charge for your organization. I feel like all of those things are important to be able to do if you're, if you're managing a sales team. Yeah. And I think, you know, you have to break it down to what are you leading and what are you managing? All right. In, in my view, what I thought, you're, out, you're, you're leading people and you're teaching people. 
okay? You're managing process and you're managing numbers, all right? And you can't convolute the two because if you teach the people the right way to do things, because people really fail for basically three reasons, okay? Capability, commitment, or willingness. Now, as a sales leader, I have to make sure, first of all, the capability factor is there. Now, you got to hire the right people that uh, to come into your organization. I always look for somebody when I do interview them, will they like the work? Okay, you have to enjoy the process of what you're going to be doing. My wife is a, uh, or was, an intensive care unit nurse. You couldn't give me $500 an hour to do that job because I wouldn't like the work. There's no way I could go in there and, and like what I'm doing. So the first thing I look for when trying to bring a salesperson to the organization is determine, will they like what we do every day? Will they like the process of going out and helping people uh, and uh, growing the business? Two, commitment. Okay. I, they have to have a process, something that they believe in to be committed to. All right. So that they come to work every day fired up. And I wanted to create an environment where they'd work their hardest because commitment is very important. And then willingness, well, that's on their part. Okay, they got to be willing to execute the job every day. But if you, as a teacher, if you teach the capabilities and the right process to do the job, we've had a lot of success with that. And um, that's one of the things I want to make sure is that I put the right teaching methodologies out there and teach them how to do this job the way I've seen it be successful over all the years. It's important to do that. No doubt. You know, that old anecdote that, you know, those who can do, do, and those who can't teach. Do you think that that applies? Do you think that applies in sales? Or do you think that that's, you know, that that there's an asterisk next to sales with this because you have to have some talent in order to, in order to lead, in order to inspire? If you can't do what you're teaching, then who's going to listen? I mean, you know what I'm saying? So when you want to get into management, one of the things I looked for, and I promoted an awful lot of people, from sales uh, positions to management. And I did so based on, you know, when I looked at their characteristics and I always had the, what I call care, I know it's a, it's an acronym or whatever, but are they a good communicator? All right. Are they appreciative for the people that are working with them? All right. Um, are they respectful for the people that they're going to be working with? And are they empathetic, too? Because it's not an easy job being in sales. And sometimes, you know, those they can have a bad day and things. And you have to understand, okay, the role of the sales rep and the person that you're working for. So if they have those things, if they're good communicators, if they're appreciative of the opportunity they have, if they respect for the people that's working for them and they're empathetic for what's going on around them, then I've had an awful lot of success. But if you don't know how to do the job, I don't want you teaching it. That's for darn sure. No, I agree. I think that there's a there's a big difference between folks that just jump into management because they they just want to be a manager or they just want the promotion versus people who actually care about what they're doing. They're passionate about it and they want to share it with others. Yeah. Yeah. They want to get out of sales so they'll manage. Okay, but trust me, you're in sales when you're managing. Okay, because you're managing a group of people. And this is one of the things that I look at, you know, and I, I viewed myself as a manager is that say you have eight people on on your sales team, well, that's not a mutual fund. Those are eight individual stocks, if you will, eight individual people that want to be successful. And you've got to, you know, be working with all of them to help them achieve their goals, not just your goal. And one of the things that I've never, ever been impressed with is a manager that thinks, 
everything's okay because they're over quota and half of their team is failing. To me, that manager is failing because they're failing their people. So, you know, getting into management, you got to understand, you got a lot more responsibility for sales. You're not out of it. You're in it and you're in it deep. So, um, so that's one of the things that they have to understand when you get into management, your job is to make those people uh, successful and take good care of their careers. I feel like sales management, it takes, like you said, you wear a lot of different hats and it, but it also takes a lot of different skill sets as far as, you know, people always talk about personality tests and t- trying to figure out what people would be best for. And in some of those personality tests, they'll, they'll talk about some people are more analytically driven. Some people are drivers or leaders. I feel like within sales management, there are certain tasks where you have to be incredibly analytical as far as when you're talking about recruiting, or if you're talking about creating a training program, managing numbers, those types of things. They're incredibly analytical tasks, but everything else really seems very inspirational. It's it's more from the heart. It's the art over the science in a lot of ways. Yeah, the analytical piece is understanding. And again, I never worried about numbers. Yes. Numbers, to me, numbers were numbers. I was more worried about where they came from. Okay. Right? You know, because again, somebody that was getting, you know, a big deal once in a while uh, or landing a large sale, Okay, I wanted consistency. I I wanted people because again, there's a lot of ways to do business. Okay, you you basically get your business from three directives, as far as I'm concerned. First is your prospecting efforts that goes in and closing new businesses. Second is getting your customers to buy repeat business from you and to um, upsell and to get additional controls or whatever we want to call them. And the third way is to get referrals. Right. And, and uh, there was a huge network opportunity within our industry of payroll in HCM where you could get referrals from accountants, from your clients, from banks, all different places. So I didn't worry so much about what the sales numbers were, but if they were coming from the right direction, if they were coming from referrals, if they were coming from target marketing, things of that sort, then there was going to be a consistent flow of business. And that's what I look for. I wanted the people that were doing business the right way and tapping into all three of those methodologies. First one is getting your own business, which is that's a daily job of a salesperson. Right. And also managing the client. okay, and managing their other centers of influence wherever they have them so that there's a steady flow of business. As they once said, and I think I talked to you guys at Wells Fargo, that I once understood that the first uh, the most uh, a critical way to wealth is to make men, money while you're sleeping. <laughs> okay. Not literally, but, um, <laughs> you know, while you're doing one task over here, there's somebody talking about you someplace else and recommending you. And sure. that's, where, that's where my most successful salespeople were, were the ones that had ability to uh, build a solid, solid network around them. Okay. And to have money coming in from all three directions. And that's what I wanted to see. So numbers are numbers. Okay. That's a great. That's a great point. Today's world is a is quite a bit different. We've seen, you know, whether it's been the last few years because of COVID or just the nature of things, we've really we've really kind of driven towards, you know, a quote unquote virtual world. Um, do you feel that the sale, like sales as a profession, is the same today as it was twenty years ago, or do you feel like it's changed? Well, it's obviously changed in the last couple of years because of COVID. Sure. I think there's a lot more remote learning. 
I think people are doing a lot more virtual meetings. Or first, first of all, you had to because you you couldn't go anywhere, right? I sure. mean, basically, you were locked into your own little facility to do your business, and uh, so that changed in that regard. Twenty years ago, I think, and again, I can only speak to the uh, industry that I played in my whole career. Um, there weren't as many competitors. Now, there's thousand companies calling themselves. Um, payroll tax, HCM. Right. Okay. So in that regard, there's a lot more competition out there. The good news is there's a lot more companies that have bought the concept. All right. You're not selling in-house systems as much. You're, You're selling people that have already bought the concept of outsourcing. So now you just better be doing a really good job with your customers or else somebody's going to come in and steal them because they're all over the place looking for your clients. So I think that that's changed a lot too, is the competitive landscape. But also I do think that there's a lot more virtual um, learning going on right now and presenting, which is a good thing and in some regards, not such a good thing. Well, and I think to your point that you said prior, as far as making money while you're sleeping, I think that there's a lot of tools in today's world that people utilize to continue working while they're not working, whether it's, whether it's, you know, automated messages going out, trying to set appointments. If it's, you know, if it's bots going after people on social media, there's so many tools that are out there. They're not perfect tools yet. There's still people that are, there's still people that are working on them, but, but big business has really grasped technology. I think that they're, you know, they're getting better at better at utilizing it. What I don't know, and I guess the, I guess the, the thing that I think about is that a lot of these tools aren't necessarily available to your sales reps or the people that are doing the job out there on the street. And so they're compete, you're competing with not only other sales reps, other people doing the jobs, but you're also competing with people that aren't even people out there talking to your customers. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, I guess that's where your, your marketing department, that's where, you know, the company has to provide you with the, as many tools as possible to get your name out there because advertising your products and getting your name in, uh, in lights is, uh, in, in a lot of different uh, venues is, is good. But then in, in the end of the day, somebody's got to talk to those people and somebody's got to convince them that they want to do business with you. So advertising and marketing and selling sometimes are not always the same thing. Um, but as I said, you know, if I was managing a sales force today in, in today's world, I would be making sure that, you know, they were positioned to use any technology they had to, you know, uncover good prospects. But then again, the process of selling them and convincing them, I don't think that's going to change. People will buy from people they like and trust. People will buy your ideas, okay, and your concepts for why you're going to make their life better. They're going to buy your company. Okay, you know, and are you a solid organization? Are you worth doing business with? Okay, then they'll buy your product, and uh, the last thing they buy is your price. So when you're doing a lot of zooms and when you're doing a lot of um, meetings that way, you're basically selling your product and your price. You know, and I think there's a missing element in the uh, personal touch that a salesperson has to have with their customers. And my best salespeople. The ones and many of them are still in sales today from 25, 30 years ago. Okay. Their success is not based on anything other than personal contacts and um, 
a network ability to secure referrals from them. And I don't think that's changing in the world, even with the technology changes and everything. If you're a good salesperson, your customers like doing business with you and they'll recommend you. No doubt. I think there was, there was a there fairly intelligent guy once told me that in the absence of value, people revert the price. Yeah. Okay. When everything's the same. Okay. That's how the car industry, you know, you've got two people selling for, you know, Tauruses or whatever, and, you know, they can't differentiate anything. Okay. Their service, their value, their, you know, whatever they differentiate it at, then you're going to buy the salesperson, you're not going to, you know, it doesn't matter who you're buying from, then you're going to buy the price. And that's where they negotiate and come in and, you know, you play that game. But the greatest salesperson in the car industry ever, that Joe Girard, right? Who, the law of 250, he said that he, 200, every person you sell knows 250 people. Okay. And he was going to use that network of his clients to tap into other clients. So he didn't buy price. He didn't sell that concept. He sold him. And again, if a good salesperson gets that um, recommendation from their customers, they're going to sell a lot more than people going in and selling product and price because especially in today's world, you know, you just take the payroll industry. I mean, everybody's selling the same thing. They're selling human capital management. That's the newest, uh, buzzword out there right and then not 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 does every company have it but a lot of them are selling the same platform so the product's exactly the same so what is going to differentiate you from your competition it's going to be the people that are representing the company and the ideas that they bring to the table so that all being said you see a lot of bigger companies out there they're cutting expenses. One of the things they're cutting is they're cutting training for their people. They're cutting, you know, those in-person learning. They're going to more of a virtual learning program. Um, you know, they're they're putting their sales teams inside, like inside sales based on phone, like we've been talking about, based on phone sales rather than than putting them out and giving them an expensive, you know, expenses to where they can afford to drive around and 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 hit the doors of their clients. Right. All of that being said, do you feel like do you feel like we're making a mistake as an industry when we when we talk about sales as an industry? Do you feel like that there's there's a lot of mistakes being made right now that are going to impact the careers of the people that are entering the profession in the last five years and moving kind of forward from today? Well, I had an inside sales team, okay, and we did. You know, you had a part sure. of things, but they were selling very small. Uh, companies, probably 10 employees or less, they're very feature, not very feature rich, didn't need a whole lot of things. They're getting referrals. So I right. probably sold before I even got to them. They were call-ins, right? And um, there was a place for that because it was transactional. You could whip out a, you know, a lot of those, uh, a lot of sales in a very short period of time. So I, I was okay with that. Um, and one of our other companies again i don't want to use a lot of names or anything but we had an inside sales group where we sent them a list so we gave them the targets on who to call and you know it actually helped the field um identify because you got credit for the sales when you know when they were when they were made sure but in today i i don't think a lot of it depends on what your territory is Okay, it depends on what, you know, how many prospects you have within your territory. Just give me an example. Okay, in, in um, 
our industry, a typical territory had probably 3,000 prospects and about 300 clients. Okay. And it was very close proximity. There were territories, right? In that regard, I, I think, yeah, you, 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 I would be in the field every day. Okay. Okay. Talking to these people because, again, the, the, it's not geographically limited, right? There's a lot to opportunity to go find prospects. But more importantly, if you had three cl- 300 clients um, out there in your territory in, in a close proximity, I'd be talking to them all the time. Because, right. again, if, if there's three ways to do business, like I just mentioned, prospecting, well, you can prospect in the field a lot better because you can see the business, you can talk to somebody. But then, again, you're talking to your customers about other additional opportunities they might not be using from you already. Okay, and you might build a strong relationship where they're willing to um, recommend you. And a lot of our business came from unsolicited client referrals. They came from people that just recommended us because we were doing a good job. And that's why we were sleeping, if you will. Okay. So, and if I knew my competition was doing everything remotely and over the phone, then I would do my best to go out in the field because I'm not going to replicate what they're doing. I'm going to try to do it one step better. And I don't think there's anything better to build a relationship than sitting across the table from somebody explaining how you can help them. I just don't see a better way to do that. Now, if you have a large geographic territory, okay, and you can't get on an airplane and go across the country just to make a sales call, then again, identifying the prospects and setting up the right parameters. So it all depends on what um, what you're selling, what your territory is. But when you have a, a lot of prospects, and the one thing about the industry the payroll HCM industry. And the reason I stayed in it for 30 something years is there's four things that made that probably the best industry to work in is that everybody was a prospect. There were no contracts. So you could get instant gratification. All right. You had an uncapped income. So what's going to stop you from making a lot of money other than your willingness to try to make a lot of money. And four, the influence centers of CPAs, banks, and as I said, the clients, and there's people that didn't like doing this work. So they were willing to recommend their clients to you. And when you put those four things together, I'd be talking to everybody I possibly could as many times as I possibly could because, you know, you can have the best marketing department, but word of mouth is still the best marketing. And it's the cheapest way to do business is get referrals. That's very inexpensive way to bring business in the door. No doubt. Well, and I think everybody, I mean, anybody who went into sales, whether you're, I mean, no matter, no matter what they say, everybody goes into sales to try to generate money, to try to generate a a, a quality income. You can make as much in sales as you can as being a professional, like a doctor or an attorney or anything else. So it's, I think people, I think the excitement that, that people have entering the door is the fact that, you know, it's, it's, it's limitless in a lot of ways. So, yeah. That being that being said, I think that you know what you're saying holds a lot. It holds a lot of value because people have to know what they're doing. They have to feel comfortable with it, what they're doing. They have to feel excited about it because they entered they entered the field to be able to make a good living for for them and for their families. Right, and it's like anything else. That's where the leader that we started this conversation with comes in. It's you've got to teach them how to do the job effectively and how to become a business person, just like a doctor would go to medical school. You got to teach them how to be a doctor. You got to teach people how to be a salesperson. It's an art. Okay. It's not easy. 
All right. And that's where you have to have a lot of resilience because salespeople tend sometimes to become professional trainees. All right. They do something for a couple of years and all of a sudden, you know, somebody will come along. They'll say, well, you know, maybe I'll sell this or maybe I'll try this. Okay, and, you know, you, if you join a solid company with a solid training program, you got to give it time and you got to start developing networks in a business, just like if you were any other kind of a doctor, as you say, a lawyer, the way you're going to build your wealth is to have customers, have right. clients, have people that are having repeat business, but also, you know, bringing people to you. And, and this is where Yelp comes in and all these other things that they're using now, okay, to try to share that they are a good um business to do business with but i tell you being a salesperson it, it took me a long time to really understand the game and you know i did it for a few years so thankfully i had a very um patient manager who knew a lot about developing people and being like i said care okay that's the kind of emulation of uh, process that i uh put into place because i know what it takes to be a good salesperson now because i've seen enough of them all right and it does take a good training program it takes a, a process it takes a repeatable process all right but it's uh it's something that if done right you can have a great career and make a lot of money no doubt well you know it's it, we talk about all the different things that are available today versus versus you know 20 30 years ago do you think that sometimes it actually makes it more difficult in today's world? Like when you have more tools at your fingertips, when you have more levers to pull, it, it makes it, you know, it's almost like you have too many choices. I don't, you know what? I, I want all the tools I could get. Sure. <laughs> okay. I want, I mean, I didn't, I mean, I'm so old. I had a roll of dimes in my pocket. To make, <laughs> okay. I wish I had a cell phone. I wish I had uh, the internet. I wish I had all those. Uh, items because again information having a lot of information is better than not having a lot of information right Right. being able to know where a target market is or what a niche is uh, uh, for your prospects or what's going on in their world okay I'll take as much information as I can get the bottom line is though I'm going to learn I'm going to decide who I try to sell to okay that's one thing I learned all right if I had 5,000 or 3,000 prospects in my territory and my goal was 75 units or whatever, there was a lot of people I didn't need to sell. And that's one of the things that, you know, I would like to zero in at who my targets are. And the more information I have, the easier it is for me to zero in at who might be a good target or a good industry or things, um, you know, that, that make it more simple for me to identify my prospects, but I'll take all the information I get. I I like the information world. I think that one thing that I always hear when I talk to you is that you have, you have a great process. Like you just said, you, you identify how many opportunities there are, who you, who, who are your real opportunities. And I think that some salespeople, even if they have talent in some areas of sales, they lack that, they lack that process. So to, you know, to the overarching point of this conversation, I think that's where a quality sales manager comes in sometimes. It's understanding yeah. what people's gaps are and how can you help fill their gaps? How can you help make them a better professional overall if they don't have command of that skill set like you do? Yeah, well, again, the, the, one of the greatest gifts I had, and this was, again, early in my career when I was a sales rep and had a good sales manager, we talked about seeing your business. We, we talked about where is your, where's your business going to come from? 
So again, just use the category of you want 80 sales in a year. Okay, we break it down. I want 20 to come from CPAs. I want 30 to come from clients, right? Okay, absolutely. Five to come from lost sales or whatever. And in the end, you are basically looking for 10 prospects for the year. Okay, so if you can visualize in your mind where your business is going to come from, okay, and that's where I, I wanted to simplify it for my team. This is not a hard game unless you make it one. All right. And that's where managing a process and managing numbers came in while teaching people how to manage those numbers and also leading them um, down the right paths. Okay. Because again, there's going to be days where their frustrations are in there and communication becomes the key. Cause I know that salespeople under quota look for reasons to dislike their manager or their company. All right. And, sure. uh, so I wanted to keep their head. It's in not the- your problem. It's mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I don't want credit or blame. Okay. I just want to teach the right processes and hopefully, you know, we've had enough success where I want to duplicate that. And you have to be consistent too. You have to show them a plan, but you, you can't vary. Refocusing is a dangerous word in, um, in leadership. Okay. Right. And, but the most dangerous word is turnover. And I wanted to control turnover and make sure that those people that came to me that wanted a career, I gave them everything I had so they could have a career. And if then, it, then if it wasn't the right thing for them, then well, they'd figure it out. What do you think about the the new term that's kind of been coined in the last couple of years, quiet quitting? Yeah, I've seen that a lot. Um, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know what quiet quitting is. I mean, it's, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's, you know, kind of two things. First of all, you don't like your job. Right. So that goes back to do you like the work? As I said, you know, if you enjoy what you're doing every day, you're not going to mind doing it. Um, the other part is doing not doing more than you're required to do. Right. Now, again, that's that's up to the individual. I mean, in sales, you should want to do as much as you can to make as much money as you can because you're paid by the drink rather than an open bar, if you will. Okay, but um, I think there is a lot of there is some. I guess <laughs> there is yeah there is a reason why somebody would not want to do more than they're asked to do. All right, because again, you have to balance your life. Sure, and it, you know and it depends what you know what they're being required to do. I can you know I've had managers that sometimes I thought they were good leaders and everything, but. You know, I'd come into work in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning, and they'd say, did you get my email? And I'd say, uh, no, what time did you send it? And they'd say, like, 11 at night. Well, I was sleeping. Okay? Right. So I, I didn't get your email. Okay? And, and that can't really be a problem because, it, you know, if, if – if, and, again, I was a senior leader, so I had to be on top of things and everything. But, you know, there's certain – things that you really don't want to be doing is working 11 o'clock at night or, you know, every night and things of that sort. But the other thing that I think would cause, and probably the biggest reason in sales that would cause quiet quitting is again, turnover. Okay. If, if you're playing shorthanded and the managers, right. the manager still got a quota and now he's got six people to make that quota instead of 10. Well, there's a lot of pressure on the manager to still make the numbers. And if you're going to pass that down or, you know, double somebody's sales reps quota or start expecting a lot more out of them just to cover your lack of ability to keep your team. Well, then, you know, 
that's another reason why you might lose some people in sales because the pressure becomes too much. So, but to not just come in and, and quietly not do your job, I would think that I would quietly help them leave. Well, just, I was going to say, doesn't that go to the relationship that you have with your yeah. sales reps as well, especially in yeah. sales, but in any job, if somebody's quiet quitting, that means that you haven't had a conversation with them because if you're yeah. not digging in, then that allows them to kind of stay in the corner, keep to themselves and, yeah. and do whatever they're going to do. Yeah. Communication's the key. I mean, that, uh, we had weekly meetings, you had one-on-ones, and, but I, I talked to my direct reports almost every day. Right. It and it wasn't, would you sell? That gets old too. It was, how was your day? What do you need? You know, what's going on in your life? I commun- I try to communicate all the time with the people. So I had a, my finger on the pulse of how they were enjoying their job without being a micromanager. Because again, it wasn't always about the numbers. It was about how are, th- how's thing- how are things going for you as far as your advancement towards your goals? Okay. Right. And career objectives and things. And I, I was fortunate. I very, I very rarely had to fire anybody. I don't think I fired more than 10 people in all the years that, and that was for being stupid. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, if people are trying, they're going to be successful. I've never seen anybody really work hard and fail. Okay. But you got to keep them in the game. So how do you keep people in the game? You communicate with them, you involve them. Okay. You got to, you know, ask for their opinion. Sometimes I was a human suggestion box. When I was a sales rep, I was brought because you're closer to the action. You're out there every day in the field. You want to know what's going on and you wanted your boss to know what you were going through and what you were feeling. So I looked for suggestions now because I always gave them. Right. And um, so if you involve them and then you recognize them, if there's no reward for consequence for uh, success and there's no consequence for failure, then people do as little as possible. So I wanted to make sure that they, you know, I was telling people, quite frequently what I was impressed with and what I appreciated from them and, you know, the good job they were doing that keeps people involved. Okay. No you have to keep people involved. If you're, if all you're worried about is numbers and if all you're worried about is, you know, getting all the job done and this and that, and you know, not showing the appreciation for the effort that's being put into it, then you might get some quiet quitting, but it's basically job dissatisfaction. Right. Well, I guess that leads me to to my my last question of you is what do you see as success for like as, as far as in sales management? I know it's a pretty big question, but what does success mean to you? Well, since I'm smart enough to know that my success was a culmination of their success, okay? My success in sales management was having the ability to um have successful salespeople grow careers. As I told you, that was something if I saw my people being successful. And, you know, we had talked at one time about should top managers be put into into the field or top sales reps be put into managers? Right. Yeah, I mean, if that's the right thing for the person, the business, right, in the organization, then yeah. Okay, but to me, successful salespeople and successful sales managers are one thing. First of all, grow the business, ensure the continuation of it, but also growing careers so that people look back at, it's like a teacher, you know, sometimes somebody looks back and says, this is my favorite teacher. Right. Right. I'd like to think that some point in time, you know, somebody would look at me and say, I helped their career. Okay. That they became successful because some of the things that they 
got out of working with me. That makes me feel successful as a manager. All right. Being promoted to another up another position, um, upward mobility shows mm-hmm. you've been successful. Earning the loyalty and respect of the people around you, not just your salespeople, but the ones that are around around you, the, your operations people and things of that sort help me and uh, you know, just basically that uh, you did a good job and you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, I did good not only for myself, but the people that were I was responsible for. I don't think you get answered any better than that. Jack, I want to thank you for joining me today and, and sharing some of your insights into sales management. And I will reserve the right to call you again if you would if you would join me and talk about some other topics. But uh, I want to, again, thank you, you know, very much. Yeah, Jesse, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. And I'm enjoying your other podcast too. So, And uh, anytime you would like to speak, uh, I'm willing to do so. Okay, Jesse? Thanks again, Jack. I read a book not too long ago. It was by a gentleman named Mark McDonald, and it's called Be Known for Something. And I'll tell you, Jack Ducanis is known for just what he talked about at the end of our interview. He's impacted hundreds, if not thousands, of sales professionals over the year that are happy to tell you about it if you ever ask them. You can't put a value on Jack Ducanis' knowledge and his willingness to share it. I look forward to continuing to have Jack on and give him a platform to share his experience and his thoughts on a number of organizational leadership and sales-focused topics. I also hope to welcome back a number of the professionals that I have had on as guests to share their expertise in a more in-depth forum that our first interview didn't necessarily allow because we were talking about them and their careers and how they got started. More to come on that. That's going to wrap us up for today. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. We'll catch you guys next time.